Today on the podcast, we're continuing our series, We Believe, talking about the subject of the cross with a very special guest, Pastor Joshua Tompkins. How's it going, Josh? Always good to be here, Pastor Keith. Glad to have you back, and man, what a uh, great message um, yesterday about the cross. But before we get there, uh, my condolences on um, the loss of your Diamondbacks. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, it is it is it, it is always been hard to be a, an Arizona sports fan, but it just becomes increasingly harder every year to continue to be <laughs> an Arizona sports fan for any franchise. You know, we just get our hopes up, and man, just not a not a good way to end, really. Yeah, well, at least they got close. Um, my uh, my Braves had high expectations, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll we'll not uh, talk about that. Uh, but there's always next it. year, always yeah. next year. Yeah, we've already traded off several people, so we're <laughs> probably not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, I do want to congratulate the Texas Rangers. Uh, I doubt they'll ever listen to this podcast, but right, you never yeah. know. Congratulations so. either way. That's right, that's right. <laughs> there's a first time for everything, apparently. Um, and so congratulations to the Rangers. Well, let's move right along into uh, the message from yesterday uh, where you talked about the cross and, like I said, great message. I uh, just want to follow up with some questions um, about that. And the first one is talking about the cross itself, because you mentioned just uh, that the cross is a famous symbol, right. widely recognized um, throughout the world. Um, and a lot of people, you know, um, you see it in, in trinket form or, you know, on people's um, walls or in their cars or even mm -hmm. around their necks or on clothing, things like that. Right. Um, is depicting the cross in that way, is that wrong? Um, is that what we're talking about here when we're talking about the cross? So, yeah, absolutely. It's all got to go. Well, there goes <laughs> half my wardrobe, Josh. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I know. That. <laughs> so, I mean, clearly, yeah, clearly, uh, no. Like, is it wrong to have uh, a cross in our home or in our cars, around our necks, or even sometimes on our bodies? I would say, you know, the answer to that is no, but I do think there are certain guidelines to help us maybe take a step back and ask, why are we doing what we're doing, right? So uh, like 1 Corinthians 10, 14, is, is it idolatry? I mean, there was, especially in the early church, there was a concern about having any symbol associated with Christianity because they would view that as idolatry. So do I worship this symbol instead of worshiping the Savior? You would have to ask that question. Uh, you know, First Peter 3.3 3 talks about, is it a stumbling block? Uh, I, especially in high school, I'm learning how to become, not necessarily become, but as I was learning what Christianity is, um, I often would avoid wearing a cross because I knew people would see that and then they would see my actions and be like, well, what's going on here? I was like, so you, you might want to ask, is this a stumbling block uh, that could be for somebody else? And then I think lastly, and I kind of base, base this off of Romans 14, is do we value the object more than the subject? And I think that was a lot of the my main point in the sermon is a lot of times we put way too much emphasis on the symbols of Christianity than Christ himself. And we, we have to remember, like, Christian things do not make us Christian. It is ultimately just in faith in Christ alone. Yeah, and that is really good. And I, I've kind of seen um, just personally both of those. Um, you know, I know people who 
think, well, if I wear a cross around my neck, then God is now obligated to bless me. Right. Um, or it's more identifying with a broader religion uh, where if you were to have a conversation, they probably couldn't tell you a whole lot about what that cross means or symbolizes. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I know people who um, use the symbol of the cross as a witnessing tool uh, to right. start conversations, and they can um, you know, articulate uh, what it means and the significance, and even use it as a bridge to share the gospel. So mm-hmm. um, great, great point there. Uh, well, we talked about uh, a lot about the cross and what it means in uh, specifically Christ's death on the cross. Um, but that raises the question, Josh, why is death uh, the requirement, um, the required punishment for sin? Um, and couldn't there be another way? Why did it have to be the cross? Yeah, and both both great questions. So I think, in short, um, why why is death required punishment for sin? And my main answer for that is it's straight out of Romans six: is the wages of sin is death. Um, we we have to remember that God is holy, and that God is holy righteous. And so, for those two things, that means He must punish sin. Um, we are fully separated from God in this because of sin. And, um, I mean, righteousness was the thing that drove Martin Luther nearly back crazy, because just like us today, we can't put our minds around something that is purely righteous. So because of that, it it is the requirement for sin. Um, It is death. And couldn't there be another way? I remember being asked this, Years and years ago, by a former student turned turned atheist, and his exact wording was, "Well, if you know, if it were up to me, I would do it better. You know, there would be another way." It's like, okay, well, I think there's a misunderstanding then of wh- how you view sin and how you view salvation. So we have to be very careful because we don't want to doubt God and doubt His plan when we ask that question. Um, but at the same time, we have to look at the biblical argument. So one, we know that punishment for sin is death. So mankind is doomed because we are in sin. We see that in the garden in Genesis 3 and then throughout all of humankind. Um, we are not perfect. We are not holy. We are not righteous. Like, we are in sin. And um, so this actually leans on doctrine that Pastor Phil talked about the week before. It was only through a pure, innocent sacrifice that we had forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament, the sacrificial system was misused, and it wasn't working. It wasn't saving anybody from sin. There was putting our faith in God, but they still had their sin. And so what happened is we knew, God knew, there needed to be an ultimate sacrifice, something of complete and innocent blood. But this is why Jesus had to be fully human, because it was humans that had the wage of sin upon them. So if Jesus were only God, then, and this kind of leans towards if he was just a God of love, then there would be no justice and God's wrath would not be appeased. However, if Jesus was only human, then it would just be all of God's justice upon us and none of the love because we are in our sins. So it took something and someone that was both fully God and fully man. And so it was only through Jesus' sacrifice that allowed us to be free of sin. Yeah, that's really good and really incredible when you think about um, all of that and, and you take a step back. And, you know, I think it's important to understand, like you mentioned, that um, when we talk about subjects like this, 
um, that we are not God. Right. Right. And um, his ways are so much higher than our ways and, and, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so there are some things that with our human intellect and minds that we cannot understand or comprehend and some questions that honestly we may never uh, have the answers to. And so that's why it's really important that we ask the question, what does the Bible say? And so I really appreciate you bringing um, that back to the Scripture. And what I find really interesting is that uh, when we talk about death being the punishment for sin, it seems like that is kind of ingrained at the very beginning, um, even in Genesis, that that's what God told Adam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that what I told you not to do, you will surely die, right? Right. Um, so interesting that you see that um, even in the in the creation itself. So we know that death is the required punishment for sin, but it, it raises the question. Why did Jesus have to die such a cruel death on the cross? Um, would it not have been sufficient if he just, I don't know, died of natural causes? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at Scripture, we have to remember that this required, this required sacrifice. He had to take our penalty. This is where in the message I talk about penal substitutionary atonement, that he bore a penalty, he substituted our place, and that he atoned for our sins. So because of this, it required sacrifice. He had to die a death that we deserved. So because of this, God's wrath had to be satisfied, and that wouldn't be satisfied in just dying of natural causes in the way that most of us will. Yeah, um, there's really a distinction there when you talk about that word wrath, um, and it's really humbling when you think about all that Jesus endured, um, yes, on the cross, but leading up to the cross, the shame mm-hmm. and the humiliation, and you did a great job of talking about the horrors of the cross uh, in the message, and um, yeah, thank you so much for that. I also would like to request that you um, make a t-shirt uh, with that phrase, uh, penal substitutionary <laughs> atonement. <laughs> um, I would definitely wear Winning that. Scrabble combination, yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you referenced in the message yesterday, and you brought it up uh, a little bit ago, um, this connection between the cross and the Old Testament. Specifically, uh, you talked about the Passover in the Old Testament. Um, was this God's plan all along? We've kind of already talked about that, but are, are there other areas in the Old Testament that kind of point to the cross? Because I've heard some Christians say, well, the Old Testament really isn't relevant for us today, and it's not necessary for <laughs> what you find in the New Testament. Yeah, and normally that person would say, well, I don't think that's right, because Jesus quoted the Old Testament a lot, and he found it very, very relevant. Um, so, I mean, the short answer is, is yes. You see this um, as early as Genesis 3. I call it the, it's called the Proto-Evangelicum, um, when uh, we see in Genesis 3 how, uh, you know, she will crush the head, but he will bruise the heel. We see the beginning of the very gospel message as, as early as Genesis 3, but then all throughout the Old Testament, uh, we see this continual reminder that someone is coming that will redeem all or unify all, prophesy to all. Um, we see this language, but again, you see you see major stories I think most people are familiar with, uh, like the bronze servant in Exodus is a clear foreshadowing of the salvation that 
um, God's going to bring. You see this also with Abraham and Isaac, which I consider barely foreshadowing. It's just straight out. God is going to provide a sacrifice. Um, So all throughout the Old Testament, you see this over and over and over again. Something is coming that will save us all. That's great. And, you know, as you describe those stories in the Old Testament, I was reminded of in Genesis when Adam and Eve do sin, um, and uh, maybe one of the first consequences is they realize the shame of their nakedness, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but God provides a way um, right then, um, yeah. the, the skin of an innocent animal, um, to cover their shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so many, so many references to the cross, uh, even throughout the Old Testament. So, great, great point. All right, so let's jump into um, your Scrabble words one more time. <laughs> so, <laughs> explain for us, what does the word atonement mean, and uh, what does it mean when we say that Jesus was our propitiation, and why is that important to understand? This is why I always laugh because it's like these are terms we use every day, right? Like every like well, if you're a teenager, propitiation all the time. It's a trendy word. Uh, so yeah, atonement is it carries the idea like to cover uh, reparation for a wrong or an injury. Um, I think we the biblical use of it is this idea of it's to cover um, a payment or a wrong. And so one of the examples I use is like, let's imagine you, you go out to eat. Uh, it's just you and your wife. It's a nice restaurant. You know, the bill comes back and you're expecting about, you know, 50 to, to $60 with tip. Well, when you, you get there, you realize someone has paid the bill. Like someone has paid for, not necessarily you're wrong, uh, but like they have paid your cost and it's covered. And so you, you leave with a sense of like, well, I was you know, I was in debt, but now that has been covered. That price has been paid. Yeah. So it's like if, if my wife and I went to 501 Prime. Right. Um, and then the bill would be like, I don't know, 150 cool. um, <laughs> on a $50 budget. Um, right. <laughs> I'm like, I can't pay this. Right. Um, and uh, so then I do have a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but to your point, if someone covered that, um, that would be like atonement. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I think the the idea there is um, that either way, like it's been paid for, so the the cost is still there. It's just you're not the one paying the cost. Yeah, and that's a good point because um, it's not that it's not that like you said the cost goes away or the penalty goes away. It's that it has been covered. Um, and obviously in this case by Jesus. So right. um, that's great. And how does that, how does atonement relate to propitiation? What's the difference? So propitiation is uh, to appease an offended power. So it, it carries with it the idea of pacifying wrath by taking care of the penalty for the offense that caused the wrath. Um, so may, maybe a, a, a loose example would be along the lines of like, let's say you get into a fender bender with somebody, and so there is wrath. They're very angry. It is 100% your fault. And so to take care of that wrath, you're paying the penalty for the offense. I'm going to fix the car so that you no longer have wrath against me. That would be propitiation. Okay, gotcha. Um, I've heard people refer to that word propitiation as a satisfying sacrifice. Um, so would that be like 
uh, okay, I'm going to pay to make it right, but I'm going to pay 100% um, what it takes to make it right. It's right. not just, I'll give you half. It's like, no, I'm paying all, all that's required. It. Yeah. I, I'm doing everything that I can to satisfy the wrath that should be coming. So I take care of the penalty. If I take care of the penalty, then I pacify the wrath. That's really good. Um, thank you so much for that clarification. Okay. Um, last question, and it, it may take a little bit, so uh, we we're allotted a little bit extra time. All right. <laughs> um, so yesterday you mentioned um, two extreme views um, when we're talking about Christ's atonement. Um, one view um, kind of can lead to this thing called universalism, um, and the other extreme uh, would be more like hyper-Calvinism. Uh, can you briefly just explain a little bit about what those are? Because they've been pretty controversial in the church over the years. Um, and talk about what the Bible actually says about Christ's atonement. Right. So when we look at universalism, this generally stems out of an Armenian standpoint, which would say that Christ has died for all, when he said he was finished on the cross and has conquered. Um, and so now, in the universalist standpoint, and this would be to the far left of an Arminian uh, belief, is I no longer have to do anything. I am just bound to heaven because sin, is, sin has been conquered, sin has been defeated, and therefore everyone goes to heaven. And and on the flip side, uh, hyper-Calvinism, which would be a, a, a very far-right view of Calvinism, this kind of this stems from a limited atonement standpoint, um, they would say there is really no way that you know you are saved. Um, so even if you proclaim that you're saved, you don't know that. And even if you don't know that, they would say, well, you could still be, and you don't know. Like, you have... You have no say, you have no control, but you have really no knowledge. And so there's a lot of fear based in hyper-Calvinism because you have no way of knowing if you're God's elect. I would, I would say in both cases, especially of the extremes, these are, there's no faith, right? Like if, if universalism is true, then I get to do whatever I want. Um, because no matter what, I don't need to have faith in Jesus because everybody goes to heaven. If hyper-Calvinism is true, it doesn't require faith because really hyper-Calvinism is just fatalism in disguise. Like, I don't have any say. So either I sin and do as much as I want, and I go to heaven or I go to hell, but either way, I don't get a say. So there's no faith in there either. Yeah, uh, so just to clarify, when you talk about kind of a, a universal view, uh, they would say that, Christ's atonement covers all people for all time, and so everyone goes to heaven regardless. Right. Um, a hyper-Calvinistic view would say that um, God predestined or, or chose an elect, uh, which are certain people before time, and those are the only people who will be saved, and we don't know whether or not we're part of that or not. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so... That makes sense, uh, and like you said, both of those are kind of extremes. So where where do we land um, when we're thinking about what the Bible actually says about faith and salvation and how to be saved? Yeah, and I think this is where, especially this is where I lean, I lean on the biblical reality that the Bible teaches really both, not, not the extreme versions, but <laughs> the Bible teaches both, that God saved the world 
and God saved the elect. And I don't see those as mutually exclusive. And so the reality is, and I, and I remember I said this in the sermon, is there are similarities between Arminianism and Calvinism. They don't need to be at odds. For instance, both teach that it's by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so our essentials are covered there, right? Now we're just arguing theology, and maybe that's fun. Uh, and, you know, and the other is, both would argue that if you are, are drawn by and you desire salvation, both say, well, then you are saved. Um, so that, you know, when we put our faith in Christ, both would say that is something that you walk forward in and can have assurance in. Um, so that's why when people start to get really heated in these arguments, it's like, well, you know, we have to accept that there is a biblical reality. Um, and we're not, just as we discussed earlier, we're not going to be able to fully understand this because we are not God. And I know Pastor Phil has said it many times in this podcast. He said it in sermons. Like, if we could wrap our heads around God, then, you know, we're probably worshiping the wrong God. And so that, that's the reality here is that this is bigger than us, and we're not going to be able to understand it. So biblically, they seem at odds. And as I said in the sermon, I see them as two friends holding hands. Yeah, and I love that analogy. And I think it's important that we remind our listeners kind of the framework that we're working uh, with as we go through the series, and that is a unity in the essentials, right? Uh, liberty in the non-essentials, and charity in all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sounds like you're saying that the essential that we're unified in is that salvation is by grace through faith, mm-hmm. um, and that you know when we get into the how, I think specifically when. You talk about uh, you know uh, Arminianism versus Calvinism. Um, the question a lot of times is when does regeneration happen? Yeah. Um, whereas like an Arminius would say that I have faith and then I'm regenerated. Mm-hmm. A Calvinist would probably say that I'm regenerated, therefore I, I have, have faith. faith. Yeah. Um, but when you get down to how all of that works, that there is liberty. Um, yeah. As long as we can agree that salvation is. Uh, by grace, through faith, in the in finished Christ work alone. of Jesus Christ. Yeah, That's so good. Uh, well, uh, we are out of time for today, but it's been a great conversation. And uh, looking forward to uh, Pastor Phil um, in the next uh, topic, which he's going to be talking about uh, the resurrection and salvation specifically. So I think he's going to get in uh, into some more details on some of these things. And uh, wait, I can't wait for that. Yep, absolutely. And give them a, give them a hard time about them gators. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will. Well, Pastor Josh, thank you for your time today, and I uh, can't wait till the next time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.